What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, okay. hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. was certainly impressive and it will pick up a victory for Trent Beretta and Kaylee Croft. Here are your winners, Trent Beretta and Kaylee Croft. Whether it's Little League or playing Nintendo Wii, Kaylee Croft and Trent Beretta have indeed arrived here in ECW. I like the victory fist bump there at the end. They blew it up as well. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling. And you are listening to episode number 261 of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling podcast, a podcast that you can get two times a week by subscribing in any of the places you get your weekly podcasts from, whether it's iTunes, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, or my personal favorite, the Podomatic app. You never know who's going to be on the other end of the line of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling, and you never know what to expect on a weekly basis. And with all that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz, and John to join us here in just a minute, but what a big show we have on tap for you today, as we are going to give you a double shot, we're going to give you two guests for the price of one. First, we're going to welcome in former WWE Tag Team Superstar, former OVW World Heavyweight Champion, he was one half of the Dude Busters as Kalen Croft joins the program. And after Kalen Croft, we're going to welcome back in Michael Kingston of Headlock Comics to talk about his current Kickstarter campaign and all the cool things going on in the world 
of Headlock Comics, where if you haven't experienced Headlock Comics, go out of your way to check them out, because if you're a comic book fan and a wrestling fan, it's a hybrid of both worlds coming together with some of the most gritty art you're ever going to see and some of the coolest storylines that have ever been written for anything involving professional wrestling. And John and Michael Kingston are going to dive into that after we speak with Kalen Croft, who, like I said, he's a former dude buster. He's a former OVW champion. He's a definite veteran of the WWE developmental scene. And when you think about what he's done, you think about some of those guys that he learned from in OVW. You think about Jim Cornette. You think about Paul Heyman. And he really lasted through an era where a lot of big names came through and a lot of big names kind of uh, got shot to the top. And there was a few down in OVW that we get to speak about that never really got the jumpstart that they should have. And unfortunately, there's some stories about people in OVW that, you know, they were hot to trot down there. And Jim Cornette definitely had some ideas for them. But by the time they got to the WWE, the WWE just didn't know what to do with some of those OVW folks. And I think that's a very frustrating source for people who live down in OVW and see what's going on now with NXT and the Performance Center. But nonetheless, this is a fantastic interview with Kalen Croft. What an interesting guy who's doing so many cool things now. He's an art teacher. He's designing adult coloring books. And I think that that's really cool. And I think the uh, influence of Kalen Croft really works in well with Michael Kingston being that the two of these, it's like the best of both worlds when it comes to the pairing of uh, being an artist and being involved with professional wrestling. But John, as I welcome you in here now, kind of talk about both guys if you can. Speak about Kalen Croft and what are the finer points of the interview that you think we have to look for, as well as Michael Kingston and what's going on with Headlock Comics. Because when we throw out these double shot episodes, there's a lot of ground to cover, but there is no doubt there is no shortage of really cool stories and a great experience uh, that you're going to get by listening to both of these fine artistic individuals. Yes, Chad, you said it right there. The two-man power trip just keeps on rolling, and this time it's a little bit of a two-parter, as the first part will be Kalen Croft, the former Dude Buster himself, the former OVW champion himself, and of course part two, like you said, will be Michael Kingston coming back to the show from Headlocked Comics. Please check out Headlocked the hard way on Kickstarter and donate to that campaign. You will not be Sorry about that one. But back to Kalen Croft. This was a great, great chat. Had some great stories. I just love this guy's carefree attitude. He's just you know, very easy to talk to, very cool to talk to, very calm guy. Done a lot in the business, been everywhere in the business, so it's great to get kind of his perspective. I love, you know, the stuff on OVW. I love the stuff on FCW. And then, of course, his time in the WWE as a member of the Dude Busters with some good stuff. Obviously, we're going to talk Paul Heyman. We're going to talk Jim Cornette. We're going to talk a little Vince. So, you know, sit back and relax. Enjoy this one. But one thing that really, really, really sticks out to me on this interview, I just thought it was hilarious. He's got this awesome story on Paul Heyman. You may have heard it before, but just the way he tells it is just so funny, and his delivery is great. It's just how comfortable he is telling the story and what he thought about Paul and basically Paul's lies and what Heyman used to do (laughs) and used to say and and kind of, it still cracks me up now just thinking about it. 
and um, I'm not even listening, you know, to the, to the story, but it just thinking back to it just cracks me up. Basically, what Heyman did while he was down there in OVW, and and uh, you know, it's basically a little bit of a lie that he was perpetrating down there. So you know, you're definitely gonna enjoy that stuff. Like I said, the OVW stuff is great, not just about the Heyman. His whole time there, obviously, he's a former OVW champion. He's a four-time former OVW tag champion. Then, of course, two-time former FCW tag team champ. So we go through FCW as well. And then we kind of get his take on NXT and the Performance Center. And basically going through his you know time in developmental and what he thought about that and what he thinks about developmental now and how it's so different and how it's so changed and how it's really beneficial to the wrestler or... Is it not? So, you know, you definitely get a good opinion out of him on that for sure. And if you can, please check out what he's doing today. Go to visualfaithworks.com and check out all the cool stuff that he's doing. And obviously, he is a perfect tie-in to our comic book hero himself, Michael Kingston from Headlock Comics. So this is a perfect two-parter episode. Fits like a glove. You got Kalen Croft doing what he's doing in the art world and being an artist himself. Then, of course... Michael Kingston from Headlock doing his thing over there with his comic book, with his artwork, with the wrestling business. So you can't get much more of a perfect fit than these two. But first and foremost, let's listen to a little Kalen Croft. Chad, take it away, buddy. Absolutely. Definitely a great storyteller, a fun-loving guy to say the least. And kind of go out of your way to find some of those OVW matches that we were talking about. Uh, OVW definitely needs to get on the WWE Network because there's a world of OVW footage out there that I think uh, would rival some of that NXT uh, fanfare that's going on right now. OVW at one point was uh, one of the most intriguing wrestling products in the country, and that's during Kalen Croft's era. And now you can kind of see where the uh, the ground floor of the developmental system started, and that is in OVW, and Kalen Croft, such a huge part of that. But, John, as the music starts to creep in, before we get to the two-man power trip of wrestling business, just want to thank everybody who came out in Philadelphia this past weekend to the Icons of Wrestling and got to meet Eric Bischoff, got to meet Sean Waltman. If you experienced our last episode that had Sean Waltman on it, it was an amazing time to be around the NWO And uh, as they say, the NWO is for life, and we've been spray-painting and uh, taking people out left and right since the weekend. But definitely want to give a big shout-out to the people who run Icons of Wrestling. They do an amazing job, and the crowds just keep getting bigger and bigger and such great things to come with the Icons of Wrestling. So best of luck to Timothy Embler and the folks at the Icons of Wrestling from your friends here at the two-man power trip of wrestling. Now, as the music starts to creep in, John, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Kalen Croft, followed by Headlock Comics' own Michael Kingston. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jeffrey McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, 
Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore if you are a super fan. And you can please check out our page while you're there. You can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former four-time OVW World Tag Team Champion, a former OVW World Heavyweight Champion, as well as a two-time former FCW Tag Team Champion. You know him as a dude buster. We know him as Kalen Croft. Please enjoy. Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. We uh, we're thrilled to get you on. Like I said, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of old developmental territories thrown out there, and we're definitely going to get into that. But like I had mentioned, one half of the Dude Busters team, we all remember them. But what have you been up to since kind of departing WWE and moving on into other things uh, with your life? How are things going in your world? Oh man, uh, Don, things are. Really good. I uh, let's see. So um, I think a lot of people know, but not everybody knows. Um, a little dichotomy in my life. I'm a currently an elementary art teacher today. So you know, <laughs> kind of going from pro wrestling to a uh, art teacher. Um, and uh, let's see, I got married about a year and a half ago. Um, I live in Tampa, Florida, with my wife. Uh, we bought a house uh, in this past year, and. Um, yeah, just launched a website, which is um, visualfaithworks.com. It's just uh, a lot of my artwork and I, my children's book and adult coloring book and some things like that. And, um, yeah, man, things are cool. I just, um, you know, still a fan of wrestling. I just enjoy life and just try to uh, 
bring something positive to, uh, you know, every day. I think uh, the training that you had in pro wrestling, uh, regardless of whatever you go on to, if you go into an elementary school art class, let alone just any kind of elementary school class, (laughs) you're going to be wrestling with a lot of different styles of kids. So uh, that pro wrestling training, I'm sure, has come in uh, pretty handy with some of those. uh, (laughs) You know, believe it or not, and it sounds like, yeah, you you could see that. um, Yeah, wrestling – Definitely, there's a lot of parallels to teaching for for me. Like I, I sometimes I try to explain that to somebody, they kind of just look at me, you know. But there's a, yeah, in in, in a lot of ways, wrestling uh, very well, very much pre- uh, preparing me for teaching. It's funny. My wife's a teacher, and uh, the political side of teaching is definitely a little bit uh, close to the wrestling game, I would say. Um, but you know, <laughs> yeah. they they kind of test you. Uh, in certain you know certain realms, I hear her talk about things, and I go, "Wow, sometimes that could be uh that could be like a subplot in a wrestling uh company somewhere along the line but uh yeah. no, it's definitely yeah. cool which, it's definitely cool what you have going on the uh the adult coloring book thing I think that's definitely uh that's very very different it's taken off like wildfire uh you see so many different walks of life of people get into that, but what kind of what kind of made you want to explore? Doing that, obviously, you said art teacher, so you got an artistic side to you. But what made you get into doing the uh, the adult coloring books? Because um, you know, I've always been an artist, and uh, you know, I've always done artwork, and you know, I got my degree in art back in 2002. Although at the time, I didn't think you know I was going to be a wrestler my whole life. That's all you know I was going to do. But um, but I ended up getting my art degree just to have it, and uh, so uh, and then just in the last probably year and a half or so, I. Um, I love the idea of entrepreneurship, you know, and um, I, I just love the idea that you can create, you know, a business or um, a product to serve people where you can make money at it, you know, and um, I, and I like to draw and, and you know, adult coloring books is a, um, is a pretty big thing, you know, right there, like you just said, and uh, uh, a guy I consider a mentor of mine said um, a good way to um, – uh, find out if something will sell or not. He said, go on to Google and type it in. And if it's a thing, <laughs> if people are buying it, people might buy yours too. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I just like to draw. I really just like to share my art with people. So that's kind of where that comes from. It's a weird, uh, it's a weird subculture uh, of people that. I'm not saying it's weird that you do it. It's weird the people that you see that are getting yeah. into the adult coloring books. Not, not that it's, right. there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, no, no. I know exactly what you mean. It's all walks of life. <laughs> oh yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, it's very cool. But you know what? Obviously, being you know in wrestling as long as you were and being creative, uh, you know, it all plays hand in hand with you know what you've done in the past. But uh, you know, kind of let's kind of dig into that if you know if we can. Have you still kept up with what's going on in wrestling? Uh, at this point, with all the uh, you know the big changes and WWE really evolving, you know basically uh, day after day, there's some other new development coming out of there that they've expanded into some other <laughs> realm. But are you still keeping up with the product? Yeah, and um, uh, I, I do, and, and it's cool because like like I'm still a fan at the end of the day, and um, uh, and you know I, I still um, yeah, like you just mentioned, there's a lot of new guys, but then there's still a lot of. Uh, like my buddies that I like to tune in to see, um, like Dolph Ziggler, um, like Bray Wyatt, um, Fandango, you know, those guys. And, uh, 
But, um, yeah, you know, I remember back in – we were in FCW, and when John Laurinaitis was in charge, um, he came down and he said uh, one of their goals was to make developmental a fourth brand. You know, at the time we had Ross back down in ECW. And um, I remember thinking you – know, I had heard that for years, and I was like, it'll never happen. Like, it's just – you know. but, man, NXT sure has become like its own brand. Um, and um, – yeah, they just keep uh, expanding, and I saw what was the I what was the thing I saw with the uh, the European guys they had they had a tournament over in Europe, all those guys from the UK. Yeah, they um, had a UK championship tournament. Okay, yeah, and and then um, it just it's, it's I I read an article once where it said um like Triple H is kind of doing to the Indies what Vince did to the territories in the eighties, just like buying up a lot of the top talent. I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, yeah, it seems like they got a lot of guys under contract, uh, which is cool. You know, cool for them. So it's a weird parallel. That's a great. Uh, that's a really great comparison because it almost is like that. And one of the kind of the subplots that we've developed over the last couple of months here on the show is seeing how like mm-hmm. not only the business has evolved, but the fans have evolved. And whereas Triple H to a whole generation of people was not always the most favorable of fellas. Now, to this generation, he's becoming this, you know, basically uh, curator of now the future of WWE with NXT. But do you kind of see that as uh, as being true, that, you know, a whole generation of people might have been against Triple H and things that he had done maybe uh, as the top guy in the company to now – there's a whole generation of fans and wrestlers that are looking at him as really the godsend of what the future mm-hmm. of WWE is going to be. Yeah, it um, it certainly looks that way. Um, and I guess uh, people feel comfortable with that because you know, Hunter's a wrestler's wrestler, so to speak. And um, I think he gets wrestling. And um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, and it's just, it's I would go back to. Um, you know, like in 1995, it, it's kind of fascinating to think, you know, when he came in, he was just, quote, unquote, another wrestler, you know? <laughs> and, like, it's just, I never would have, I don't think anybody would imagine that, you know, just a, a regular, you know, worker would have, you know, ended up marrying the boss's daughter. And, and then, you know, not only that, but he's got a, you know, brilliant mind and, and um, ends up, you know, pretty much... I don't know. I think his, his his official title is COO, I believe. Is that right? I believe, um, yeah. He's up to, to COO, but he's also uh, pretty much in charge of the, uh, you know, the entire talent uh, roster for the most part. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's just a matter of, of, of public opinion, I guess. You know, I'm sure some, like anything, people are going to like him and some aren't. And um, And I don't know. It's hard to say, I guess, really. Um, you know, because uh, and and a lot of the stuff that you know goes on backstage, it's just that you know, who knows really? Like like all the stuff I would hear when I was there wasn't you know I wasn't aware of or I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that answers the question or not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's just like it is with the uh, you know with the teachers' lounge. A lot of stuff goes on uh, behind that door <laughs> that might not actually be truthful, but still it makes the. Uh, it makes a great story, but you know what we always talk about right. with this show is we always talk about your OVW era, that era of OVW really being not forgotten because there was a lot of people to come out of it. But basically, had there been the platform 
that they have now for the OVW guys that I think we would have seen a really different landscape uh, kind of develop for everyone because a lot of talent, you know, and now they have the ability yeah. to do it. Yeah, you know, and see, and, and um, like you'd ask me if I keep up with the product, and I do, but like, yeah, a lot of the um, backstage stuff I don't really hear about unless I talk to someone or, but I, I'm just, I'm just not engaging with it a lot. But I did see so uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, um, who I've known a long time, and actually hired me for my first developmental contract back in 2003. And then Doc was the trainer here in FCW uh, when I was here, and he's just awesome. And uh, I saw he tweeted something with my and Trent and a few other guys' name in it. I guess he was responding to, I guess, yeah, kind of what you were just alluding to. Some people have said that, um, you know, NXT has been the only developmental that's really produced talent, and um, and, and and Doc really took exception to that. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's not true. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think it's just a uh, the plot, you know, the platform. Kind of going back to what I was saying earlier when when Lauren Knight has said that, uh, you know, the goal was to make developmental a fourth brand, and, and I thought the way it was treated in the big picture. I don't want to say treated because it's always, you know, always been very respected, but it, it wasn't, you know, considered a brand for TV. I didn't think it ever would be. And I think now that they have that and, um, you know, it's triple H and baby, so to speak. And, uh, so, you know, com- the company's behind it. And, um, see, I mean, my goodness, the, the talent of OVW actually, um, I got some pretty cool stories from when I first started, you know, like, I looked at it as a business decision. I thought, I need somewhere to get trained. Where can I go? I wanted, I knew enough to know that I need to go somewhere where you'd get, you know, looked at or recognized. And OVW had a beginner's class um, on Saturday mornings. And uh, I thought, oh, this is perfect. I can stay in school. And it was a, it was a six-hour drive for me from Ohio to Louisville where, um, you know, the training was in the – so I did that on the weekends, and then Nick Dinsmore was the trainer in that class, you know, Eugene, and um, he um, kind of took me under his wing, and, and, you know, when I'd come in town for the weekend, I'd stay with him, and uh, so I'd start going to these OVW house shows, you know, I'm like, been in, I've been training for like two months, and, uh, and I remember I was sitting in the locker room, and the locker room was like Brock Lesnar, uh, Shelton Benjamin, uh, Cena, Randy, a uh, young Randy Orton, all these guys were young, Batista, um, uh, Brock Conway, you know, and and uh, and then once so I remember when all those guys kind of went up, and then like uh, you just have crop after crop of talent, you know, that uh, that got called up, and then I kind of like quote unquote my class, like I like to once I got signed, and you know you had CM Punk, and um, I mean countless people, you know, so I, I'm sure it's, they're all developmental. They've always done a good job of. Uh, producing their own talent, I feel. OVW was a different beast, though. I mean, we wax poetic about OVW with everybody, including, you know, talking to Jim Cornette and talking to a lot of the key talent that was there. And it just, it was really, you know, it was ahead of its time in that, yeah, there was way too much talent under one roof and you guys were pigeonholed by a lot of maybe bad creative uh, entities at the time who were either not into uh, the ideas coming out of OVW because of the people in yeah. charge or what, but, yeah. you know, 
<laughs> Do you think that that's something that's kind of true that it was uh, it was hampered because maybe who was in charge of creative versus who was in charge of OVW? You know, and 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 I appreciate that you guys liked OVW because that man that was so fun and, and I, I felt so fortunate because Jim Cornette ran it and it, it was like an old school territory and like Cornette had the guys like me and Johnny Jeter from the Spirit Squad and uh, just he had us on TV before we had contracts and. Um, and it worked really cool. Like he, he would just, um, but he would get so upset because the office would never tell him what they were going to do with guys. And Cornette was old school, you know, and he wanted to uh, run, you know, like a kayfabe territory. And then like, I remember he flipped out because um, he, the, the Bashams were, were attacking an OVW. And um, remember the Bashams, Danny and Doug Bashams? Oh, yeah. Yep. And, um, they were two of the top guys in OVW, and Cornette kept telling the office, you got to bring these two guys up. And then, uh, so they never did. So Cornette did this huge angle, and he told the whole summer was written out with this feud. And then WWE brought them up as the Bastion Brothers. <laughs> like after Cornette had split them on TV, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And another example, this is a pretty good example. I remember um, uh, John Cena, when Cena was in developmental, um, and when he was prototype. And, uh, you know, he, he was just uh, – heel Cena is, is great. If he ever turns heel, it'll, it, which I think he will, uh, it'll be really, – he's a really good heel. Um, and he can really talk, obviously, as a heel or a babyface. And uh, I remember one time Stephanie called down and asked – he said, hey, can that John Cena, can he talk? <laughs> and meanwhile, like, you know, we, we would always do promos to get sent to the office and – so, there, yeah, there was always, like, a disconnect. But I think as time went on, it, it got, um, you know, um, th- that uh, that back of the, uh, what's the word, um, connection w- was stronger. And then even when I was in FCW, um, there was a much more of a direct contact. But still, there still seemed to be a disconnect, you know, compared to the way it is now. I mean, um and I heard that. I've never been to the NXT place in Orlando, but I heard it's just insane. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, it's a performance center. It's not just an NXT uh, yeah. facility. <laughs> it's funny, man, because I remember in Dr. Tom, the original Davis Arena, in, in, um, right over the bridge in South, South, Jeffersonville, Indiana, it was an old, old building. And that's uh, you know, that's where all those first guys came out of, Cena, Orton, and um, – and then we, I remember OVW moved across the river to um, to Louisville, and like WWE put a bunch of money into it, and Danny Davis did, and made this really awesome TV studio. So that was like a huge deal. And then I remember when I got to Florida, we had four rings, and that was like, whoa, that's a, I've never seen this before. <laughs> and then I guess the Performance Center has seven rings, I heard, something like that. I don't know. You could have a couple different uh, war games matches going on at one time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you sure could. <laughs> in the performance center, you know, I mean, it, when we think about FCW, you know, we think about all the banners and all like you know the pay per view uh, paraphernalia floating mm. around. We think of OVW, we think of you know the uh, the television layout and how you guys were on TV. Uh, and we told mm. this story on one of the episodes that you know where I lived in New Jersey for some reason, my wife's sisters cable box was able to get OVW television. I don't know why. I don't know oh, how no much I <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to check out OVW a lot, so you know, I kinda 
I kind of lived it while you were reading about it because at the time you didn't get a chance to read about it. But with you being an yeah. OW and being actually one of the you know one of the champions and being a guy that was really you know in a top spot in a in a developmental territory, you know what did it mean for you to be picked to be the champion of a developmental territory? You know what did you kind of think about them trusting you with that as you're developing your own personal character in your career? Oh man, um, I, I took it as an absolute honor to get to be champion. Um, the, the first time we got to be tag champs was cool because um, Tank Tolan and I were Southern tag champs, and those belts have a lot of history too. You know, they've been around a long time, and um, um, so you know, to, to be a for Cornette to put the titles on us in a developmental territory when we didn't have contracts yet was really cool, and and I felt it helped our stock with the company. You know. Um, but then the being heavyweight champ was really cool because, like, you know, w- when I first went down there, um, you know, the, the, the champions, the guys that I saw wear that belt were John Cena, Rico Constantino, Rob Conway, uh, Dinsmore, Brock. No, Brock was never champ, but, but you, you know, so I uh, I took it as a uh, it was it was really cool to me personally. <clears throat> so. Yeah, and you know, and who you beat was Matt Morgan, who obviously after WWE went on to a very, very big career with TNA, after WWE repeatedly either restarted him, put him in bad gimmicks or what, but another guy let go by the yeah. WWE who went on to be another, you know, huge talent in the business. Yeah. Um, I never understood that. I, I, me, Matt and I were good friends. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I don't know. They just never got behind him. And we, we used to say, man, this guy is seven feet tall. He, he looks phenomenal. He's got a good attitude. Um, I don't know if he got heat with somebody or who knows, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and you know, is he still wrestling, you know, Matt Morgan? He, he's coming back, uh, allegedly. He he left the business, but he's coming back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's a good guy. Because I think we're – actually, I think he was a few years younger than me, which would make him about, you know, mid-30s, I guess. Yeah. Um, now you know winning the OVW title, like you said, there's a lot of history behind it. There was a lot of good wrestlers that were OVW champs, but kind of what did that mean to you when they were putting the strap on you and kind of saying, "All right, you know, carry the company a bit here." Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry. What was, what was the question? I didn't get the last part. How did you feel when they put the strap on you? And, you know, you became the OVW champion. They were kind of saying, you know, that uh, you know, carry the ball for a bit here. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Like you said, uh, just just a big honor, really. You know, for them, it, it, it is at any level. I think with the company, when you're a champion, it's like, you know, it's like be, it's like being given an award. Like, hey, you know, yeah, we feel, yeah, you can carry the company or, or whatever it is. You, you you represent us well, and um, yeah, it, it was um, it, it was just really cool. I I, I you know really uh, and and I thought I, I was close to getting called up at the time and um which didn't work out that way but um he still meant a lot to me so and then uh and then Cornette took the belt off me because he was he was afraid oh because I did a uh <laughs> Adam or uh uh Adam Adam is a shoot Adam Birch uh, Joey Mercury and I are, are really good friends and um he uh he's him and John Morrison started the M&M gimmick in OVW, and um, they actually did a dark match with me and Morrison <laughs> in Cincinnati, 
when Cornette was afraid they're going to bring me up as a heel, so he wanted to get the title off me. Um, but um, just yeah, just cool. It, it's just neat, you know. You get to be in the main event on the house shows, and just you know, it, it's a cool spot. You know, when you think about OVW, you know, obviously the, the whole point is getting called up to the main roster and stuff like that. You kind of mentioned a little bit of it before, but is there any kind of contact where they're telling you ahead of time, like you're about to be called up, or is there any sort of communication from up on high? Yeah, you know, um, it, uh, um, it's usually no, <laughs> usually zero, <laughs> but, but, but you start to hear stuff, you know, like I can remember, um, before I got my first developmental contract, I remember talking to Dr. Tom. And he said, uh, you know, you're on our radar. And then, um, you know, the first time I ever got called up on the road was in, it was September of 2004. And uh, I really didn't know anybody on the main roster. Well, I, most of the guys I knew were on Raw, and I went to SmackDown. And um, and, and I ended up working with the Bashams, who I, who I knew them from OBW. And, um, oh, man, it was, it was so cool because it was my first time, like, on a WWE show. I remember being in the hotel room before that, like flipping out thinking, Holy cow, dude, like, like I'm actually on the show, like, you know, like a real WWE show. <laughs> and, and like, and, you know, I remember got really good reports from that. And, um, and I, I kept going on the road and, and, you know, for, uh, you, you know, just to like for tryouts and all that. And, um, then I got hurt. And then I went on the road again, and but you, and you start to hear stuff, yeah. It, um, and like Tommy Dreamer would call and say, "Hey, good news for you. We're bringing, you know, they want to look at you again." Um, and then I actually did end up getting called up. Me and the Miz were going to be a team, and then I ended up, I ended up getting fired for getting in trouble, and then that you know went away, and Miz went up by himself. Um, and and then like when I got called up, Trent, it was like super quick. I think the story with that was Edge was down um, in FCW, and uh, Trent and I were a tag team, and um, Kurt Hawkins came down on his own dime because he was still in the contract, but he's just sitting at home, you know. And probably, it was a smart move. It probably saved his job. He said, hey, I want to be stay in ring shape. He said, Can I, let me come to FCW, and I'll just, you know, be there on my own dime. And, um, and Hawkins knew Edge really well from, uh, you know, when he was an Edge head. And um, so we were all just hanging out one time, and we had, like, a match. And uh, I guess the word was Edge told Michael Hayes. He said, look, man, just bring Croft and Beretta up. These guys are good. And, like, the next week, like, we got called up. Now, usually I don't think Edge had that, you know, ability just to get guys. But I think, I don't know, that was a good tip. But that was really quick. And the next thing I know, we were debuted on ECW. <laughs> so, and, and then sometimes it's, like, super quick. It, when stuff stopped surprising me was when Santino Morella, he, he wasn't at practice one day. And uh, I was like, where's, where's Boris? We all called him Boris. And they said, I don't know. And then he debuted on Robin and won the Intercontinental Championship. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, I think sometimes. Do uh, you remember Gene Snitsky? Oh, yeah. He, um, I remember 2004, he, uh, he went up and he did that little angle when he like he was like a job guy currently in the ring and then he pushed you know, the whole angle and he pushed uh Kane over to Lita on Lita and she had the miscarriage and uh 
you know, and then Gene was back in in OVW, and I, I remember asking him, you know, are, are you going up now? And he said, I don't think so. They didn't tell me anything. I remember the next Monday, we're at practice, and Gene's at practice. And I, I remember thinking, oh, I guess they're not going forward with that. And then, like, I don't know, at some point, Gene was gone from practice. <laughs> and I was like, hey, where's Snitsky go? <laughs> and uh, somebody messed up somewhere. He was supposed to be at Raw. I remember Raw was in Arizona. So they sent Vince's private jet to Louisville to pick him up. And he flew to Arizona. He walked in at, like, 8, eight o'clock. And Stephanie, like, briefed him. And then he went right to – and he, he did the wasn't my fault promo. <laughs> That's how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so things happen like that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, I guess. Yeah, and you mentioned with the Miz, you guys were obviously teaming for a little bit. You guys won OVW tag titles, but you know, you mentioned him getting called up by himself. What happened with you? You said you got fired, or you got in trouble? What was what was the deal there? Yeah, well, both. Um, so <laughs> yeah, like uh, so the. I remember summer 2005, I, I went on the road and, um, like, all summer, really, with Raw and the Miz and I teamed because the Miz and Matt Capitelli were going to be a tag team. Remember Capitelli from Tough Enough 3? Yep. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and they were going to do a real-world gimmick. And then um, Matt got hurt. I can't remember what happened. So I filled in um, with the Miz. And uh, then, oh, you know, we, we like, you know, I was Chris Cage, and they said, oh, we like Cage and the Miz, all right. And then um, and then when Matt came back, you know, they wanted to go with Matt and the Miz. And this was like the fall. And then, and, and then okay, I did an OVW for some time now, and I'm starting to think, like, all right, man, you know, I'm ready to go. Let's try something different. So um, I'd, never, I'd never been a heel before. So Johnny Jeter and I went to Paul Heyman and said, hey, let me turn heel. And uh, we talked him into it. He was like, I don't know. And then, and then I remember we ended up leaving the. And we we changed the whole storyline for around Christmas time. And I, I turned on Capitelli, and I joined up with Jeter, and I was a heel. Um, when I turned on Cap, you know, I was always really safe. Guys loved working with me. Um, that being said, I've never knocked anybody out ever, except for this one time. When I turned on Capitelli, I knocked him out. And uh, just, you know, I just caught him. And uh, I went to the – he was okay after, but I, I went to the doctor. You know, usually if you get hurt with somebody, it's kind of customary. You go to the hospital with them just to make, you know. And uh, that's when we found out Cap had brain cancer. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, you know, yeah, and um, he's okay now, thank God. Um, but uh, that's how we found out. So it actually ended up being a good thing that that happened. And um, so now Matt obviously can't wrestle. So then in January, Howard Finkel calls me. Because Howard Finkel would always be the guy that would call you to tell you you're on the road. I don't know if anybody knew that. Um, which is pretty cool because it's the guy from, like, your, your childhood, you know, and he sounds just like he does, you know, on the phone. <laughs> yeah. you know, Hello, Chris. Howard Finkel. How are you, sir? <laughs> so. So anyway, I remember he called me and he's like, uh, it's unfortunate for Matt, but it's good for you. And um, so me and the Miz were back together, and this was January. And we're, we're, on, we're on the Raw house shows every week, uh, January, February, March. And, and you know, and they, they would never – and I was really cool with Tommy Dreamer, who was head of developmental at the time. 
And uh, he always had inside scoop for us, but, you know, they, they wouldn't tell us anything. And then finally in March, um, they were like, yeah, we're going to go with you and The Miz. Sweet. We were going to do the reality TV gimmick and all that. And now the uh, the wellness policy had just came about, um, you know, because they didn't want, you know, Eddie had just died not too long ago. And, you know, a lot of, you know, wrestling was getting some bad publicity for deaths. And um, so, like, uh, the the weekend, so the Miz and I are getting called up, and we're going to Stanford, Connecticut, to film our vignettes. And uh, the weekend before that happens, we go out, and uh, I get, like, really, really messed up uh, drinking that night. And I had to go to the hospital, and uh, WWE found out about it. I think, it, you know, it was just the timing of it and everything. So they were like, okay, we got to make an example of this guy. So I got fired, which was like a pretty big deal at the time, you know. So, and yeah, and um, so, and, you know, it, it, was, it was good for me at the time, too. I think I needed it. You know, I needed to kind of be away from the wrestling scene for a little bit. And, uh, and it ended up working out, you know, and um, I got my act together, so to speak. And, um, and, you know, and I kept in touch with everybody. And then I remember, um, you know, I, I kept working at OVW even when they, uh, you know, the developmental had officially left and was in Florida. And, um, I guess it was like September of 08. Um, I met with John, John came down to OVW and I met with him and he's like, Oh, you know, I hated the fire you like that. And this, you know, and would you be willing to come to Florida? I said, heck yeah, man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that put me back down to FCW, and uh, yeah, and then I got paired up with Trent, and we got called up from there. So. Now, you know, when you're in OVW, obviously, we talked uh, about Cornette, and we talked about Heyman. What's kind of the difference between them? I know, obviously, uh, philosophy-wise and psychology-wise, they're complete opposites, mm. but, you know, who did you like working for better, and kind of what was the difference between Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette? Um, hmm, probably, man, that's a good question because they're both like, I hate to throw around the word genius, but Cornette, I think really is. Heyman too. I guess that Cornette's just more old school, I guess. Um, and I think he has accepted that over the years because <laughs> I've often, when I'm at work, it's funny, like I'll just, um, I'll, I'll put it on YouTube, and I'll, I'll just listen to, like, Jim Cornette. Because, you know, YouTube has a ton of Cornette shoot interviews. And, um, you know, obviously, there's because he – now, I, I think he Cornette's changed just in the last 15 years. Because when I was in OBW, he, I think he was still fighting all of that, you know, the Internet. And um, I remember we were in um, – when they used to have the HWA TV tapings at OBW um, – because, you know, that used to be a developmental up in Cincinnati. And um, Lance Cade said something about highspots.com. And Cornette goes, God damn, highspots.com, what the fuck? I'm oh, sorry, I, I don't tell you about it. I think Cornette. And um, he goes, well, I was in the gosh damn business. He's like, he goes, it was five minutes before I even knew what a high spot was. You, and he just went off. And... Um, <laughs> And OVW was like, like serious. Like guys would get fined for um, if heels and baby faces are out together in public, you know. 
Um, but I think over the years, like, you know, I mean, it's just fans are so educated, so you can't, you know, control that. Um, um, so, but, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know much difference of because they're both very passionate about wrestling and both you know very smart when it came to booking wrestling and knowing how to write you know compelling TV. I'd probably just say personalities, you know, <laughs> one's from the north, one's from the south. But um, man, now that I think about it, I can, well, I guess I don't know. I thought about this, but um, those are two of the best guys that probably get to work on this. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, two great bookers, two you know to smart minds for the business, two guys that certainly know what they're doing, but obviously you said like it's like North versus South. It's two completely different philosophies on wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And um I think I guess you can see Cornette was always way more up front. Um in fact you can Google some of that. Cornette's got some great Paul Heyman stories. Paul Heyman lying stories are pretty legendary. Um <laughs> so, yeah. Um so yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I was, he's probably lied to me. I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't, like there was one where, um, I guess there's like a famous one, I guess, where Bubba uh, Ray Dudley with EC, the original ECW. He's like, Paul, I didn't get my check, and Heyman said, I sent it FedEx, and uh, he goes, Well, give me the tracking number, and Heyman just rattled off some random numbers, and Bubba goes, That's five numbers too many, and then Heyman said, I'll just take five numbers off. It's like what the <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that is great. Any any yeah. you know stories that you can look back on and you're thinking, hmm, maybe you like to me too. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I just I mean nothing off the top of my head. But um I mean Hagel was always cool with me. I, I always enjoyed uh working for him, you know. But um Nothing that stands out, at least not at the moment. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> well, I guess uh, I guess Heyman. The word was Heyman used to write write up uh, a report, a kayfabe report of the OVW TV show, and send it in, you know, on the to the internet. And um, it was under an alias, and he would just put the show over, you know, because he wrote it. That, that was always the word. Nobody could prove it. <laughs> and the stuff he liked, he, he you know he would put over the stuff he didn't like, he would bury. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. So, yeah, you know, uh, you know the Hamas stuff is great, but with you, you and your career, the Dude Busters, obviously, definitely everyone remembers and it sticks out. What's yeah. the chemistry like with you and Trent? Obviously, Trent's doing big things now in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, but you know, what was the chemistry like between you two? Because you two seem like you gel really well together. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, like I, like I came to OB, or FCW, and uh, I had like two matches in singles, and then like one week they put me with Trent, and everybody was like, oh, that was great. You guys are great together. And uh, we just kind of went from there. And um, Trent is super cool, super chill, super easy to get along with. And so am I, too. Um, so chemistry was good. Uh, it's, you know what's funny is because uh, I still talk to Trent. I just talked to him the other day. And uh, the only thing I think was the age difference and um, 
and then ring experience. Not that, you know, I was any better than him or anything, but, you know, Trent was 21, I was 28. That's quite an age gap at that time. And uh, I was more at that point in my career like, okay, um, I heard Bret Hart say this one time. He said when I was – it used to be I always worried about messing up, and I didn't care about getting hurt. Here's now, I just worry about getting hurt, and I don't care about messing up because I know, you know, I'm going to be all right. <laughs> and I think I was much, you know, I was much more injury, not not just like wanting to be smarter with some things. <laughs> like I had, a, I had a torn pack repair. Um, you know, I'd, I'd been out with injuries before, and I think I don't think Trent ever had. He still kind of had that, um, you know, I'm an instructable mindset. Which is cool, but you know, and, and that's the only time we'd ever butt heads, heads on things, I think. And um, and and now I think you know he, I know he said tricep surgery and a couple of other things, something with his knee. And I think after that happened a couple of times, not that you hold back or anything, but you're just a little more aware. Of, okay, if I do get hurt, I'm not going to be doing any wrestling, so I need to maybe, you know, not die to the fourth night or or whatever it is, you know. You start thinking about longevity, I guess. But I mean, yeah, we got along great. Um, so, and yeah, we just had chemistry in the ring, like right off the bat. Yeah, definitely, it was a uh, you know a, a cult favorite team to say the least. When you guys got to TV, you got to SmackDown. It was definitely one of those teams that you were waiting for the emergency yeah. way for you guys to really break through. <laughs> and you know, one of the things about that era is the tag division that they always say. Oh. Oh well, the tag divisions now. It used to be better then, or it used to be better here. But your tag division at that point was stacked, and you guys were just you know another team in a line of great teams that they had uh, all on the same roster at the same time. Yeah, and um, and and, and you yeah, I like that with the like cult following. A couple of things like in FCW, we had the coolest entrance music, and um. It, I don't know how to do it. It was like, do, 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 do. It just fit us. <laughs> and um, when we got called up, they used it, you know. And uh, and and then one, one time we came out for ECW, and we had like this uh, like this heavy metal rock music, like this generic heavy. And I was like, we're like, what the heck is this? And we talked to Lauren Nitus, and he's like, oh, just this fits you guys better. And we're like, ah, I don't think so. But so whatever. And then. Um, Oh, and, you know, we were, we were just Croft and Beretta, you know, because we were Jude Busters and FCW. Um, and, but but then one time, you know, we showed up for TV, and we, when you get there, they have the shirt, you know, the, the card posted on the wall, and it said Jude Busters versus, I think, the Heart Dynasty. And um, I was like, no, shit. <laughs> it was the Jude Busters. You know, just a funny name Trent came up with. Um, but, um. Yeah, they they just for whatever reason they just never got behind us, um, which I thought they could have done a lot with us. Uh, we used to pitch ideas and because I I kind of you know everything's recycled for the most part you know, and uh, I kind of saw us as you know Edge and Christian you know, twelve years later I thought we could have done some really cool stuff with that, but um, yeah and I think we kind of we were one of those teams that um felt we were just. Guys in general too. Sometimes they, they they call you up, which is awesome. But then once you're there, you kind of realize they really don't have any plans for you, and then it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. And um, and it's twofold, you know. Like they used to always say, "Go eat yourself over," and it's like, well, 
That's true, but at the same time, at the same time, um, you know, you, you got to get some backing too on it, you know. And um, not that we didn't have opportunities, we did. But it's just, you know, it's a two-way street, I suppose. Because um, you remember when they brought uh, Colt Cabana up and Brad J and all those guys, and like they did nothing with them. <laughs> I think they had them losing their debuts. It's like, well, I mean, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, the the prime example of what you just said is Zack Ryder, obviously another guy, you know, you you know very yeah. well from that era, uh, you know, was just kind of floundering, uh, you know, kind of a funny gimmick, but, you know, really went about it himself to create this cult phenomenon that, you know, sure. 2011, 2010, 2011 was like probably the most overact in professional wrestling that everybody was attaching themselves to him, whether it was Triple H or Cena Whoever yeah. could really kind of get in with Zack Ryder, and it really ended yeah. up costing him a huge push <laughs> and really a, a harder push back down the card. Yeah, and in because uh, I was teaching at that point, and and, and, I, and I realized I had a good uh, a good measuring stick of who was over because if the kids liked them, and um, and, and I remember I text Ryder this because. Uh, yeah, it was like 2011, and all, all these kids were like, "You know Zack Ryder? I love Zack Ryder." Zach. And I was like, "Holy cow, that's funny!" Um, and, and then just randomly uh, at WrestleMania last year, they put the Intercontinental title on him in an awesome WrestleMania moment. He wins the ladder match. Next night, come cut that awesome promo and he talks about the shows the Scott Hall picture, and then them switching the Intercontinental belt. That's like that is cool, amazing stuff, you know? And then they just, that angle with the Miz was, I thought was really good. You had the Hollywood snob with his, you know, his, his, you know, uh, wife. And uh, then you had like, like, like the blue collar dude rider with his, with his dad, you know? And uh, I just thought it was such a cool angle. And then they just dropped it. Um, And I, I, I text Ryder um, when he won the belt. I was like, "Dude, holy, that's awesome!" And he he kind of said, "Yeah, man." He's like, "They just he was always as surprised as anybody. They just put it on me." He's like, "So I'm not saying anything. I'm just I'm just going along for the ride." But it's just I don't know. It's weird how they do stuff sometimes. Can't uh, if we were going to break that uh, break that down and dissect it, we'd uh, we could be sitting here uh, all night long. But back to you and Trent, <laughs> if we can, you know, you guys. You said we had a, you, know, you guys had a good chemistry. You guys had a little bit of a call following there. You had the backing, uh, somewhat enough to get onto the roster. But what at what point did you guys kind of realize that you know they really not that they didn't have anything for you guys, but they just weren't going to go ahead and and push you the way you know I think everybody at that point kind of got the push. But it seemed like you guys just were like always either the foil or you were helping the other guys get over. I mean that's a great spot to have too. But you know when did you guys kind of realize that? They just kept on jumping over you. Yeah, um, looking back on it, here's what I think happened was, um, so yeah, we're up, we're up there, and uh, we got called up in ECW. Which ECW was fun because you know it was its own little show that nobody messed with, and by that I mean uh, it had its own writers, and this never happens like ever. But with ECW, um. Jen Bloodsworth is her name, I think. She's not there anymore. She was she was at the head writer for ECW. Super cool girl, and um, she would text us that morning and say, "This is what you guys are doing on the show," and that's what we would do. ECW was almost run like developmental, where 
they wrote the show and that was it. And then it stayed that way and you did it. And then it kind of made sense into the next week, you know, <laughs> um, Raw and SmackDown gets changed. Like I'm assuming this still goes on. It gets it, it gets written, then it changed and gets changed and gets changed again. Then it gets changed before you go before it goes live. It's crazy. But um, so we're on ECW every week. That was cool. And then like um, we're only there for a few months when um, we had a brief meeting at TV with all the ECW roster. And Laurinaitis said we're gonna end ECW. So but don't worry. Uh, you know, uh, that's when he told us about NXT. Because remember, NXT was the reality show thing first, with Wade Barrett and all. It, it was all the guys and that we were in FCW with, you know. And um, But he goes, he goes, you guys are all going to get moved to Raw or SmackDown. And then they used to film ECW and SmackDown on the same night. So we ended ECW that night, and then later that same night, we were booked against Crime Time on SmackDown. I was like, oh, sweet, we're getting right into the mix, you know? And that was cool, because I'd never been on SmackDown, and, you know, that's where I was headed before, before I got fired, and now you know, I was there again. And um, and then, like, the next week, they just didn't have anything for us, and then, like, then, then we'd do something, but we'd be on Superstars, and um, and then everybody was like, uh, well, you know, it's just because it's before Mania, and they're not writing in your storylines, which is true. That's usually, you know, that's how their year is playing, you know, from Mania to Mania. So the lead-up to Mania, there's really nothing new happening. It's all built up to Mania. And um, and then after Mania, they, we had a match with the Hearts um, in Vegas, I remember. And uh, and and there was, like, a really good match. And Laurinaitis said, come here, guys. And, and they booked us on a Europe tour. Um against the hearts and I was like oh sweet so this is like it. and then Fit Finley was our agent every night and um and Fit always liked me I remember back way back when I was coming up from developmental before but um I I, I think he didn't remember who I was but not not that <laughs> but I think what um what happened was um we were too flashy as heels and um and I, I don't know it seemed like after that we, we kind of lost some steam after the Europe tour because um, I remember Fit telling us that you guys are doing too much stuff. So I don't know if that, like, or, or it might not have been anything. Um, it just, you know, the Europe tour seemed like we had a bunch of momentum going, and then they weren't doing nothing with us. And then um, when SmackDown moved to Sci-Fi, um, we, we were, like, in uh, four segments that night, which we never were. And um, we did we did a thing where the Dude Busters were moving to sci-fi like we were literally moving like <laughs> we thought we were packing up stuff and, and we we did a, a, a an angle with Vicky Guerrero and she was like you know like the main person on SmackDown at the time and we locked her in a moving truck and we were with Hornswoggle the whole time and uh and I was like oh this is awesome and, and the writers were all like yeah this is gonna be we're, we're in like five segments I think um which we never were and then um SmackDown was live uh that Thursday or that Friday to kick off the new, and then we got a call saying you're not needed at TV. Well, like, what? The, I was like, what the heck? So I don't know. There really just seemed to be no rhyme It's just kind of how you get lost in the shuffle, I guess, you know. But um, us and um, we used to work uh, Vance uh, Archer and Kurt Hawkins every week on Superstars. It seems. <laughs> 
definitely some good stuff with the, the Dude Busters, and obviously kind of uh, ended too soon. But as I start to wind it down a bit here, obviously, you know, we're talking a lot about the Dude Busters, talking about SCW, talking about your time in OVW, so many good stories and so many good matches you had. Do you have a favorite match or maybe a couple of favorite matches you had in your career? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I mean, if I had to pick one or a couple of them, you, you know, yeah, it's probably, geez, it's probably hard to pick, yeah, pick one. However, I, I can point to some that would, like, you know, have some significance. Uh, one of them was that, that first ever WWE house show I did, and, um, you know, it seems so intimidating, like like I was saying, like, oh, my goodness. Uh, because what kind of, I think what happens is, um, you know, you're in developmental. In WWE, that's a big thing. But then WWE is like, wow, that's the big time, you know. And then, like, you start to see your friends get called up, and you see them perform on WWE TV, and they're wrestling, like, Shawn Michaels and Chris Benoit and, so you you know, and that's your buddy. So you kind of think, all right, it doesn't seem as as you know impossible. Or and then you know you and, and then you then you get called before you know it. You're up there with your buddies, and it's just all kind of the same thing. It's just on a bigger stage. Um, but that first house show match I did in WWE, I didn't really know anybody, and um, it just seems such like a big deal. And I remember. I was sitting, I had Doug Basham in an armbar, and I was sitting in the ring and had him in an armbar, and I looked around and I thought, dude, I can definitely be here. Like, you know, and that was a cool moment. Like, you realize you just do what you do and what you've been doing, and, um, you know, it's just on a bigger stage. Like, I felt like I belonged, you know, in the WWE, you know. Um, and then, this was really cool. We got to, um, in Youngstown, Ohio, which uh, the building's not even there anymore, but it's where I went to college. And it's where I went to WWF matches as a kid at the Beagley Center. And uh, I was on the road, and I got to work, uh, you know, that arena uh, with the Miz. Me and the Miz versus uh, Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch. And that was cool because I, I had a lot of, like, friends, like, from childhood there. And, um, and Lance and I were good buddies. Um, it's a shame what happened to him. And uh, – but, you know, so it was really cool to get to work with Lance. I learned a lot from him, and so that was really cool. Um, oh, and, and I had a really good talk with Shawn Michaels in the, lo- after, in the locker room there, so that was neat. <laughs> he told me I was good, and I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So probably those two. Now, that's now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's no, great. No, it, there's so much stuff to, uh, you know, to really uh, to cover from all those, uh, the different territories, you know, the developmental territories and all the, the time you had on SmackDown. But, you know, as we kind of was wrapping up here, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off, so I apologize for that. But, mm, uh, no, no. Just kind of, if you, if you can, just give us a synopsis. You know, we usually like to say, you know, where do you see yourself in five years if you're still kind of in the business? Uh, you know, it looks like you've kind of moved on. So, if you look back on your wrestling career versus maybe what you're doing now, you know, what do you think you left in professional wrestling and what do you think you've kind of brought from your wrestling days into what you're doing now? 
Um, and then, you know, I'm sorry, what did I leave in wrestling? Is that, is that what you're like, asking? What do, you feel, what do you feel like in wrestling, you know, you like, you kind of left behind, you know, you, you were in OVW for a long time, you were in developmental for a long time, you obviously, you know, you worked with a lot of great guys, and wrestling was your life. Oh, so what did, yeah. what did you kind of leave in wrestling then that you carried with you, you know, over to uh, what you're doing now? Yeah, okay, that's a good question. Um, so I, I just feel, you know, so grateful because um, you're right. Like wrestling was my life, and uh, that's to me, that's all there was. <laughs> and um, and then when I got fired from WWE back in 2006, you know, I was like devastated. Um, which you know, for sure I was. But you know, like like that was like everything I had. And and then like you know, I. I I think by the time I got back, I had grown some as a person. And, um, you know, so when I was there, I started to, for the first time ever, I started to think, like, you know what, you know, you know, what will I be doing in five years? Will I still be here? And, I, you know, I kind of want to meet someone and get married and have kids at some point. And, you know, it'll be kind of hard doing that when I'm on the road all the time. And, uh, and, and, the, and then it just kind of played out. So then when I got released, um, you know, it was like, oh, okay, that sucks. Um, but I knew, you know, um, you know, there was a new chapter, you know, opening up in my life. So that, you know, that was cool. I, I was thirty, and um, and and uh, so I felt very grateful to have gotten to do all the things I did, um, and then you know, be where I'm at today, and, and then you know, be okay being done with it, you know, and and um moving forward. Um, and uh, when I first met my wife, uh, she would always ask me, she'd say, Are, like, like, don't you miss wrestling? And, and I'd say, well, yeah, but I like what I'm doing now better. You know what I mean? Like, like it was it was perfect for that time in my life, but now, you know, now we're doing this. Like, I, like uh, of course, yeah, I miss, I miss it, but not where, like, you know, I'd want to go back and do it. <laughs> And um and then you know of course sometimes I think like you know anything I left there sometimes I think man dude I, you know if they had got behind us you know we we could have really done a lot more stuff um but then I'm reminded of you know how good my life is today and just you know it just didn't work out that way but um but no regrets either that's like um you know whenever I talk to the guys because man you know to be honest the, the product in the last few years um. I mean, there were some times where I was like, this is kind of bad, <laughs> you know, like some of the stuff. <laughs> and and I would, when I would talk to guys about it, I would always like kind of jokingly, but at the same time, you know, seriously, I, I would preface it by saying, look, guys, you know me. I'm not a bitter former employee guy at all. So that being said, the show sucks right now. <laughs> like, cause, you know, I'm a fan still, <laughs> you know. So, but, um, yeah, then, you know, uh, I always have my ties to it, which is, um, you know, which is, you know, such a big part of my life. And again, I just feel very, uh, very fortunate to, you know, been able to do that stuff. Well, it's, I mean, it's been uh, a ton of fun. I'm really glad we were able to walk down memory lane with you. And uh, I hope that none of your uh, your students ever call you Mr. Dude Buster because, uh, you know, cause that, that, oh, yeah. that could be considered uh, disrespectful. But please, before we let you go, <laughs> no, you know, do. share with Oh, they do. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, they, they all the time. 
That's yeah. great. Well, before we let you go, please share with the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling just where they can find everything in the world as the man formerly known as Kalen Croft. Yeah. Uh, so if you um, yeah, if you like adult coloring sheets and you want to check out some of my art, you can go to uh, visualfaithworks.com. And, uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter. It's Croft Daddy WWE. And then um, I'm Chris Pavone, Chris with a K underscore Pavone on Instagram. You know, and uh, obviously all the best. You know, you got a lot of great stuff going on, and that's uh, sometimes that's even bigger than what you did in the wrestling business is what you're going on and doing in uh, in the regular life. And we Thanks, uh, we definitely hope uh, nothing but the best. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, guys. I had a great time. I, I Sort of one reader at a time. Um, it's 
we're not really supported by a, a, a company, you know, we're not supported by a big wrestling company. We're not supported by a comic book company. Like it's all it's just sort of us doing it, you know, sort of DIY underground. So whenever you're dealing with that sort of, you know, that sort of reality, I mean, people are, people, people tend to be brand slaves in this day and age. Uh, so, you know, you have to fight against that sort of thing. I think, a lot of times, you know, I think if you asked everybody, like if you pulled them and said, like, do you prefer original content or not? Like, I think everybody's like, oh, yeah, I like original content. But then obviously, you know, everything at the movies is a sequel or a reboot or whatever. And they seem to be doing OK with it financially. So, you know, I think sometimes that's something that people believe about themselves, but, you know, doesn't necessarily accurately play out in their lives. So. That's always a it's always a battle, particularly when you're talking about, you know, wrestling, which has you know WWE has such a stranglehold on, and then comics, which is just dominated by superheroes. So you know, trying to do something out of the box like this is always uh, always a bit of a grind to get people to step out of their comfort zone. Definitely, I definitely agree, and it's definitely refreshing though to see so many backers and so much money yeah. as far as the Kickstarter end of things go and it's always good to see like yourself you know kind of the startup DIY like you said not supported by a big comic company not really supported by a wrestling company per se but it's great to see you building up Headlocked and kind of making a great brand and kind of making it a big name so in that process obviously you made a very good bond with Jerry the King Lawler how did that bond come about? So it's uh it's kind of funny like I sent uh I sent Jerry a cold email through his website just saying, you know, hey, I do this wrestling comic. I know you have art skills, you know, would you be interested in doing a cover for the book? And like I forgot I did it after I did it honestly. Like it was like a random Saturday and like I just, you know, for the for the heck of it just, just kind of threw it out into the ether and uh I didn't think anything of it. You know, uh, and then maybe about two weeks later, I get an email back saying, you know, here's my address and send me some books. So I was like, all right, you know, this is probably from his like webmaster or something or whatever. So then I send the books out and then maybe about a week after that, he calls me up and it's crazy just because, I mean, obviously his voice is so distinctive. Otherwise, I really would have thought somebody was playing a trick on me. Um, but it was him and we talked and he agreed to do it. And then, you know, I was like, Hey, you want to do some comic book conventions? And he's like, sure. You know, so we started doing conventions, you know, now he just, he does all our covers and, you know, he's a a really good friend of mine and it's just kind of insane. Um, and then, so turns out, you know, a couple of years later we were at, uh, we were on a panel at New York comic con and, somebody asked him about, you know, why he chose to, to do it. And, uh, he was saying that he had actually, he had gotten into wrestling through his art, you know, as a, as a kid in Memphis, he was drawing pictures of the wrestlers and he sent them into the TV station and they, uh, they put him on the air and then they actually used him. They hired him to draw what would happen on the non-televised house show as sort of like a courtroom reporter almost. And he said, you know, he goes, I remember what it felt like when Lance Russell, you know, held up my artwork on TV, you know, as a kid. And, you know, I saw this opportunity when I saw when I saw Mike's email to pay that forward. So, you know, I, just, I thought that was a really, 
it was a really kind of a touching thing and uh you know it made me really, obviously it's changed the dynamics of what I'm doing and uh brought a, a ton of awareness to the book so you know it's uh it's cool I mean he's a good dude you know people sometimes have a an understanding of people just sort of through their you know honor personality or whatever but just you know he's a he's a really uh he's a good dude so thankful <laughs> Oh yeah, an amazing story about him in Memphis and kind of like getting a start in the business or getting his foot in the business with his artwork. And he's an awesome artist. Obviously, anybody that's seen the Headlock covers, they they know that all too well. But obviously, his other character uh, caricatures and other things that he does is also great. But it's cool that um, that kind of bond that you guys were able to make and, and kind of hit the convention circuit with him and things like that. Have you noticed that he's you know helped you along a, a lot, or have you noticed some of the other wrestlers? kind of um, taking notice of you and them also helping out the cause? Well, when I started, uh, the first guys to really sort of be on my side were a lot of the the wrestlers who liked comics because they would find me at uh, comic book conventions like when I was set up before I was hooked up with anybody and they would just, you know, at a show as a fan uh, and they would buy my books. So, uh, Hurricane, uh, Rob Van Dam, Christopher Daniels, like, they were some of the some of the first guys to really uh, take a notice of what we were doing, and they they also ended up being uh, you know early contributors. But uh, yeah, I mean Hurricane and Christopher Daniels are tremendous supporters of mine. Like to this day, um, Samoa Joe has always been really good about pushing us. Um, you know, like the day after he debuted on NXT, he tweeted out a picture of our shirt. Um, and he was working out in it. Uh, it was before SummerSlam last year. And he had a match with Nakamura. And he was like doing a like a workout video or whatever. And he was wearing a shirt. Um, so you know, a lot of the, a lot of the guys have been have been awesome. I mean, MVP is always pushing it. You know, you can tell the guys that really like comics, um, and they've always been super super supportive. So Frankie Kazarian is another one who. You know, it's always, I'll get calls from people, you know, they'll be like, oh, Christopher Daniels or Frankie Kazarian recommended your book and, yeah, I wanted to do an interview with you or whatever. So just good dudes, selfless guys. Like, I, you know, the wrestling has just been really, really good to me. Awesome to see those guys kind of backing it up and those guys involved. But even now with the next part of the series, Headlock the Hard Way, you got a lot of other huge names involved so who's uh you know who's around this time so uh yeah this is uh we've got a real i said it's a real show uh so we've got short stories from rick flair mick foley um cody rhodes and kenny omega which uh is a pretty insane lineup already but then we've got art from tugboat from lince dorado and then for people who like comics, uh, Ed McGinnis, who's one of the sort of main creative forces behind the popularity of Deadpool. Um, Robbie Rodriguez, who's a co-creator of Spider-Man. Uh, Andy Belanger, who's actually an independent wrestler in Montreal, but he's also an artist on Southern Cross by Image Comics. And uh, Raphael Albuquerque, who does uh, American Vampire, is one of my favorite artists. And then uh, if we get to twenty five thousand, like I said, we're we're gonna add uh, 
you know, Penta L0M. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's a real it's a real hot lineup of uh, you know talent from all over the place. So like everybody on the book is like you know an A list in the field. It's pretty neat to have this kind of uh, have have this kind of a lineup. Amazing. Anytime you know Jerry Lawler, Rick Flair, Mick Foley, Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes are involved, you know that it's a huge, huge project for Headlock. How important it, is it to you to get those guys involved? Well, I mean, for I mean, obviously for awareness, it it helps tremendously. Um, you know, like I said, with our sort of you know DIY uh, independent type thing, you know, having it just it gets people looking our way, which is which is great. But then, you know, from a collaborative standpoint, it's super fun um, for me as a lifelong wrestling fan to, you know, sit down at a table with Ric Flair and just chop up ideas and, you know, be able to, you know, sort of collaborate with these guys, you know, that you've been a fan of your whole life. Like that's a that's a dream come true. And the other thing is that uh, I think our story is like really authentic and uh, I try to keep it that way. So like, I mean, having all these guys, you know, sort of in my phone, I mean, if I have questions, I can ask people, you know, like, is this possible or what would this be like? And I don't have to do it often, but you know, on the rare opportunity, the rare chances that I do have questions, like guys are there for me to, to to answer questions and stuff. It's, it's funny. I had uh, I just got a, a random out of the blue message from uh, Danny Cage from the Monster Factory the other day. He said, "Hey, if, you know, if you ever need any insight, you know, here's my number." And which I think is amazing. Like we had never met, um, but he had heard about what we were doing, and you know, I that just kind of blows my mind. You know, he's a, a very obviously well respected trainer and well respected name in the, in wrestling and just to have a guy, you know, for no reason, just be like, Hey, yeah, this is really cool. If you need help. Like, but that's what, that's what wrestling, the wrestling business has been for me so far. It's pretty amazing. And to make those kind of bonds with people, like you said, either through a cold email or from them calling you or texting you, it's pretty amazing. And another thing that's pretty amazing is if you go on Kickstarter and you really looked at headlock and you, and you're going through some of the, the things that you could get by donating some money or by putting some money in pretty amazing. So can you just talk a little bit about some of the things on the campaign? Yeah, we try to make it accessible for everybody, uh, different price points, different levels of, you know, comfort level or experience level with headlock, uh, different formats. So, I mean, we have all the books available digitally. Um, we have them available physically, like, even though this is the fourth volume of the series, you can back the Kickstarter and get the and get and just get the first book. You know, if you're trying to, you know, just jump on, um, we have uh, all kinds of we have some cool signed stuff. We have a, a signed Justice League cover homage that we did from New York Comic Con. That we only did uh, 30 of them, and it's, uh, it's Rick Flair and Mick Foley signed it, Booker T and Christian and Jimmy and Mick and Noel Foley. Um, it's probably not even half of what it would cost somebody to get all those autographs separately. Um, but, 
and then I guess my favorite thing is to have is, is to have people drawn into the book. Um, you know, have like from the beginning, it's been nothing. It's just been a giant grassroots movement, and you know, some of the some of the higher tiers, you can be drawn into the book as a wrestler, and you know, we we use your face, we make you into a wrestler, we put you into the book as a as a character, as a prominent character, and then uh, you know, we draw you get a full pinup of you drawn by uh, by the artist by Mikel and uh, I think that uh, it's cool because what what then happens is like we had just recently put together a deal with Phil Singer Games to do an expansion pack for their, their tabletop uh, wrestling game so we have a headlock expansion pack and it's eight cards and three of the three of the wrestlers featured on those cards are people that had been previous Kickstarter backers. And that wasn't anything that they had backed for. It's just that, you know, the characters we ended up turning them into became prominent characters. And, you know what I mean? So, like, it sort of, like, has an after effect. Uh, you know, Jill Thompson does our credit pages, and she's done four different pieces of original art based on characters that were Kickstarter backers. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really cool that, you know, it's been such a, like I said, it's been such a grassroots thing that, you know, the people that have helped us the most have actually become like a part of it and, you know, are seeing that, you know, seeing their sort of characters, you know, move on down the line. So I don't know. I think it's pretty neat. I, uh, it makes me, uh, it makes me happy to see, you know, that I can help out people that have helped us out, you know, and giving them some cool stuff to do. Yeah, pretty awesome. And to think that you could donate to a Kickstarter campaign you know, at a certain tier, and then all of a sudden you're you're a star, so to speak. You're you're in there. You're enfilting your games. You're, you know, somebody's doing some cover art of you. It's uh, pretty amazing. I bet you no other Kickstarter campaign can probably say that. I mean, I know that people have gone goals or whatever. But I don't think anybody features people as prominently as we do. I mean, probably half a dozen of the main characters are all. Uh, faces from people that have helped us out. So, and then you know, be cool someday if you know we make a we make a movie out of it. You know, maybe your character is uh, you know on TV. So, I don't know. I think it's really cool and it makes me happy to to be able to give back to the people that have helped us out. Definitely real cool. And obviously, anytime you can get those autographs or you know get a couple copies of the book or kind of go through all the books. So with Headlock, obviously, this is, you know, one of many volumes. To a novice fan, like you said, they can get the first book. But what would you say to a fan that is on the edge, not sure if they're interested in Kickstarter, what would you explain to them about what Headlock is and, you know, why they should want to read it? I mean, I think uh, it's just like a, like an AMC-style drama about wrestling. And, you know, we, we sort of cover – both the craft of wrestling and the kind of insane subculture behind it. Um, we can tell the types of stories that you, know, you don't necessarily get on TV or whatever. Um, and I think the, the kind of the cool thing is that all of the art is done by wrestlers. So it's a story of a kid working his way through the wrestling business, but all the art's done by wrestlers. And I would even say to people who aren't necessarily like, if you're not a fan of comic books, I mean, like hurricanes always said this and i think this is this is kind of amusing but you know if you if you paint a great picture like that's art 
if you write a great book, like that's art. If you put words and pictures together, like, that's just for kids. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're we're creating a piece of art here. I think it's neat. Uh, I think that sometimes people have a weird blockage in their head because they associate comic books with superheroes and like, well, I don't read comics, but it's kind of the same thing with wrestling. People just associate WWE with wrestling. They don't necessarily think of, you know, other companies are unaware of other companies, but like comics is really on the vanguard of original storytelling these days. Uh, You know, like I said, with everything being so sequel, reboot, relaunch, reimagining sort of dominated, you know, I think there's more original storytelling in comics than anywhere else. So, you know, and it's not just superhero stuff. Like there's drama, there's crime, there's horror, there's sci-fi, there's all kinds of cool stuff. So, I mean, I think that that's, that to me tends to be the biggest hurdle people have because obviously, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're obviously a wrestling fan. So at that point, you know what I mean? Like the hurdle tends to be, you know, people say to me all the time, well, if this was a TV show, I'd totally watch this you know, valid or whatever, but that's a, it becomes a TV show when people support the brand. So, you know what I mean? The better we do, the more likely, you know, this will be able to, to move up into other forms of, uh, other forms of entertainment too. So it's a, it's a fun story. It's not, it's not like a pedantic story. It's very, just, it's a kid coming of age in the wrestling business and chasing his dream. And I think, I think it's relatable to just just about anybody. Totally agree, and I love uh, each book. I definitely I do the Kickstarter campaign for each one, and, and there's a lot of twists and turns, a lot of good stuff, a lot of uh, definitely excitement, and a lot of drama with this book. Unlike other you know superhero quote unquote uh, comic books, this is this is great. This is you know a ton of fun. But with you kind of branching out and doing different things, you've been places and able to do things that probably you didn't think possible. What was it like being on culture shock when Corey Graves had that show on the WWE network? Because that's a pretty cool experience too, I would think. I mean, it's all been amazing. I mean, I've got to do, I mean, for a guy that's got an indie wrestling or, you know, an indie wrestling comments that, you know, still not a lot of people have heard of. I mean, I think I've got to do some amazing things. Um, the culture shock thing was really cool. Um, it was totally unexpected. You know, we were just there and, somebody had come by from the company and said, uh, Hey, Corey's going to be here. And uh, if he wants to talk about your stuff, and I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. And, you know, we filmed like 20 minutes to a half hour full of stuff to, you know, and we, they aired about, you know, 30 seconds of it, but the, such is the nature of television. But right. It was, uh, it was fun. Um, it was really cool. I mean, I've gotten to be, I've gotten invited to, to Hollywood parties um, I was at a Playboy party at San Diego Comic Con with you know that Ryan Reynolds was at, and I was literally probably the only guy in the room that was from comics. Um, I've been uh, I've been uh, I watched WrestleMania from a luxury box. You know, I was the I was the DC Pro champion. I mean, I can tell people I'm a Japanese wrestling champion now. I mean, all that <laughs> stuff is. Uh, you know, for for a kid who just, you know, loved wrestling and loved comics and wanted to make a cool wrestling comic, like, I've got to do a lot of cool stuff. You know, I was going to say, I was extremely jealous of the, the Japanese wrestling champion with DDT, uh, DDT Pro, but now the Playboy parties kind of got me a little jealous. i got to be honest. <laughs> it was pretty neat. I'm not going to lie. Um, 
I was also I was at a party in San Diego on the on the roof of the Padres Stadium with uh, like Seth Rogen and Cast of True Blood and Paul Heyman was there and Stacy Keebler and Samoa Joe and uh, Hurricane Christopher Daniels. It was a the weird kind of weird eclectic group uh, that we were we were rolling with. Um, it's it's funny, you know. It's 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 fun for me and there's a lot of cool stuff that happens. I mean, I work, you know, insane amounts of time to, to put this thing together, but I've also been able to do a lot of things that, you know, I never would have been, never would have been able to do otherwise. Now, DDT pro becoming the, uh, you know, he's almost like the 24-7-esque champion. How did that come about? Because that always intrigued me because that was so funny because I saw you once as a referee for it, and then I see you once winning the title. How did that all come about? Uh, yeah, I just – Joey was at our booth, and uh, he had the belt with him, and I figured, uh, you know, some shenanigans might ensue. So I, uh, you know – I made my move on uh, on uh, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. I feel I feel pretty good that I went over on the the, the, the reigning All Age Tag Champs in handicap match, so to speak. But uh, you know, it was just <laughs> it was just something to do, man. We had a lot of fun with it. Um, we, uh, I think we did like five title changes, like you know, and it all happened within like 15 minutes. And then the the funny part to me is like, you know. Joey was just there for the day and then we did all these things and then he sort of spaced them out. Um, and the funny part to me is, uh, I knew that like my thing had officially aired because two different people had come up to me like, Hey, you still got that belt. So I think people <laughs> thought they were going to try to take it from me. <laughs> so. That's pretty cool. But also you got, you know, it's when you're the champ, though, you got to watch your back, make sure they don't try to take you, you know, in that 24 seven. You do. And uh, and it was ridiculous. I mean, we're you know doing wrestling spots in the middle of the aisle in San Diego Comic Con, and you know it's it's uh, it's another one of those sort of absurd moments where you know there was probably a dozen people in my booth, and we're all just sort of huddled together, like you know throwing out ideas and stuff. And it was a it's definitely an unconventional booking meeting. <laughs> Uh, it, totally unconventional, but uh, totally a lot of fun, and that's great. But as I wind it down a bit here, you know, we're talking about Headlock the hard way. We're talking about the Kickstarter campaign. But with you, you know, obviously you're a comic book fan, obviously a wrestling fan, and, and that comes hand in hand with Headlock. But do you have any favorite wrestlers in your, you know, in your fandom of as far as a wrestling fan goes? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, there's, it's evolved obviously as my as my time has going on or whatever but uh you know when i was a kid uh i i really liked uh i really liked tito santana which is i don't know kind of funny i don't know if a lot of people have that sort of thing but i think even as a kid like i recognized that like his matches were always like the most exciting um but uh he was he was uh he was my favorite wrestler and then uh I eventually really grew to be a, a Shawn Michaels fan. Um, and then uh, when I discovered Ring of Honor, like I, I fell in love with uh, Samoa Joe. And then it's kind of cool now because we're friends. And, I mean, he wrote a story for me. 
you know, I was always, I was also a huge fan of Hurricane, you know, with the comic book gimmick and being a comic book fan. So, you know, the fact that he's like one of my best friends now is like super ridiculous to me. Um, and then now I, I, I love all kinds of stuff. There's so much good wrestling out there. Um, you know, it's cool. Like it's cool to see my friends do well. You know, it's sort of made wrestling real for me again in a way. I mean, I got kind of emotional watching Christopher Daniels win the Ring of Honor title because, I mean, there's a guy who who's never going to get, like, the full credit for everything that he's done for the wrestling business. And, you know, to see him get that, you know, get a little bit of recognition and to finally win that, like, you know, it was, it was kind of emotional for me. Like, I was really just, you know, genuinely rooting for him to to win. And uh, so that's kind of a, that's kind of made wrestling, I guess, more interesting for me now, you know, between, you know, Joe and AJ and Daniels and Kaz and, you know, all these guys, like, you know, I just, I want everybody to win because I want them to, you know, I want them to, to do better. Um, and then I really like some of the others, like Lucha Underground, I like, and I, I really like progress. Um, so you know, a lot of the a lot of the British scene, like people are catching up on now. Um you know, obviously the Bucks and Omega and all that. So I mean there's tons of tons of great stuff. Like I, I like I'm sort of in this weird spot because like I said, I like I like people personally, I like some people professionally, some people I like both. And it's uh it's cool. There's a there's a lot to love in wrestling, uh in twenty seventeen. I might worry I, I worry a little bit about wrestling in twenty nineteen. Right now, it's pretty good. <laughs> I got gotcha, you definitely. Now, obviously, you know you're a big comic book fan as well. Do you have some favorite comics? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I said, like comics is definitely on the on the on the vanguard of uh, original storytelling. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of stuff like old stuff that I love, but like current stuff. Uh, I read Southern Bastards, uh, Descender, Saga. Uh, I still read Walking Dead. Uh, trying to think of uh, Outcast. I enjoy. Uh, there's a ton of them. I kind of blanking a little bit, but um, you know, and there's old stuff like Preacher and uh, Hundred Bullets is like my favorite series of all time. Uh, Concrete, I love whenever it comes out. Um, I, I read almost no superhero books anymore because it's such a it's such a, like a toxic environment. Um, you know, these characters have been around for 70 years and everybody wants those characters to be something different, but you know, they can't, and all their, all the, all the ideas are valid, but they all can't fit under the same tent. So, you know what I mean? Like you can't have a Superman for kids. That's also gritty and for adults that, right. you know, and, you know, so, I mean, like, some people want Superman to be for kids, and then some people want it to be for adults. You know, some people, you know, they want more diverse representation in superheroes, and all of those points are valid, but they all can't exist simultaneously, and it just turns into a big pissing match all the time, and it's unfortunate that, you know, like, comics Twitter is a, is just a big, like, just everybody complaining, and it's it's unfortunate. And then, you know, obviously you have the, you know, the movie properties starting to sort of creep in. And then you have longtime fans that are like, oh, these new fans suck. And 
it's tough. Like there's a lot of a lot of negativity surrounding superheroes, which is a shame because they're obviously meant to be such a positive thing. Um, they can be such a positive thing when they're done right. Um, so it just it'd be nice if we could kind of I don't know get everything together there and figure out a way for everybody to to be happy with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, in terms of original storytelling, there's there's so, it's probably the best time ever to be a comic fan. Like all the all these creators are doing stuff that you can tell that they love and they enjoy. And, you know, not just hacking stuff out for a couple of bucks. So I think uh, it's it's very similar to wrestling too. You know, that uh, it's it's sort of like golden age creatively for both of them, both mediums. Definitely comic books are making a huge comeback. But before we get into the plugs and the big Kickstarter campaign and Headlock the Hard Way, just one last question for you. Where do you see Headlock in five years? Are we looking at Headlock the movie, like you said? Or where do you see, you know, Headlock the brand positioned in five years? I mean, I think, uh, I mean, if I get lucky, I mean, I'd love to be able to just, you know, like the, the Walking Dead is obviously the franchise to emulate, and not just in terms of popularity, but, I mean, they've got their TV show, and they're telling their stories, but he's still writing the comics. You know, I mean, ultimately, I always want to be able to do Headlock, you know, as a comic, but I would like to see it sort of grow as a brand. Um, my dream, if I if I had my, my way and somebody handed me a blank check, like, I would like to make it like a late night cartoon. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's really doing like, uh, you know, dramatic cartoons. I mean, most cartoons seem like they're funny or, you know, action oriented, but I don't know if anybody's doing like a straight drama, but, you know, I think we've, we've been pushing boundaries since we started. I mean, people weren't, you know, people aren't really doing straight drama in comics too often either. So, um, particularly not with wrestling. So I think that, uh, you know, I'd love to see something like that, um, you know, a cartoon and then have wrestlers do the voices to it. So, you know, kind of the way that we have the wrestlers do art for the book now. I mean, I think that would be incredibly fitting. So, um, but, you know, wrestling is a tough fight with Hollywood. Um, I know like a lot of times I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con and I'll meet agents or whatever and they'll say, uh, well, you know, they already made the wrestling movie kind of absurd, you know, and I usually respond with, yeah, I know, it's uh, it's a shame they never <laughs> made Goodfellas because they had already made the Mafia movie, right? I mean, so that's a, that's a battle, and I've had a lot of people tell me that, you know, no matter how well we do as a brand, that Hollywood will never accept a wrestling property, you know, like this, but I don't know, people told me the same thing about comics and that nobody would ever uh, read a dramatic wrestling comic. So, and here we are. So I'm that kind of stuff. uh, I don't know if anything, I guess I'm an unfortunate, an unfortunate uh, character trait is that I'm somewhat fueled by spite. So (laughs) I kind of got to do it. That's good. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Well, this is the the fourth venture, obviously, onto uh, Kickstarter, that is. You know, we had the single step. We had Last Territory 1. We had Last Territory 2. Now we have Headlock the Hard Way. Please give us any plugs you have for either the Kickstarter or even Twitter or wherever the fans can find Headlock. 
all of our social media is all Headlocked Comic, uh, website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything. Um, and then obviously the uh, the Kickstarter's only got uh, a few more days left. So, you know, and the the thing I tell everybody is that the the books you get on Kickstarter are the same price as the books you'd get through our web store, but you get 30 extra pages. So it's, uh, it's almost like a conscious effort to have less stuff if you don't bag the Kickstarter. So all of our <laughs> best content is there. That's where all the wrestler stories are, you know, in the, in the Kickstarter variants, um, you know, I, it's the way we need to be supported. You know, it's the way that, that helps us the most. So we try to support the people that help us the way we need to be supported with the best content. Good stuff. Uh, great stuff, Headlocked. I love it. I can't wait for Headlocked the Hard Way to come out. Thank you so much uh, for your time today, Michael, and uh, all the good luck with Headlocked. Thanks so much, man, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.